I was actually thinking during that song when we sing, the sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, and I was thinking about how cold it was this morning. I don't know, did anyone else feel the cold this morning? My wife always says that I'm such a, an old man when it comes to feeling the cold. She's like, just, just don't feel the cold. I'm like, I can't help it. I'm so cold. So I was wearing a jacket, scarf, gloves this morning. I was all rugged up. Um, but you know, our kids hardly ever feel the cold. Do you notice that? Like the kids are running around, they got shorts and t-shirt on and jandals and you're like, how are you not cold? Well, I remember I used to be like that, but I remember the time that it changed for me. Uh, and it was the, um, my dad, my dad did, of course dads do it, don't they? They're the ones that break you in like that. Um, I'm looking forward to doing that with Daniel. Um, but he took us to visit his uncle who was a farmer down in Taumaranui. And it was in the winter in the school holidays. And man, it was freezing. Like there was frost on the ground every morning. And of course, the farmers, you know, all get up before the crack of dawn. And so it was super cold. Um, But I remember he was a sheep farm. And I remember him and my second cousin um, driving the quad bikes to, to, you know, wrangle the sheep and everything. And that was was my first experience of sheep farming and what, uh, what shepherding looks like. And that's always been... My, my picture of, of shepherding, kind of the sheepdogs, the wrangling of the, th- you know, like the, um, the, uh, the sheepdog trial things that they have. Like this is sort of, I think, what most of us picture <laughs> when we think of shepherding and, sh- and, uh, and farming sheep. Um, or, you know, if you're like me, you might picture this here. <laughs> you guys remember that cartoon? Sheepdog and wolf. Morning, Sam. Morning, Ralph. And, they, uh, and then they go at it, and then they punch out at the end of the day. Uh, that's what I think of, um, that sort of thing. But, that, you know, we're talking about uh, shepherding this morning. And, and in ancient Israel, that's not how shepherding was practiced. There weren't thousands and thousands of sheep um, in the flock that the shepherd was looking after, and he didn't have dogs and quad bikes and, and motorbikes and all that stuff to look after them. Um, not like here in New Zealand. And I was thinking um, about that and how uh, for years and years New Zealand was famous of having more sheep than people. And around the world, everyone is like, this is, this is the meme, right? Meanwhile, in New Zealand, <laughs> all this. and, and you, can, you can look that up and there's like um, pictures of sheep in the middle of towns and jumping over cars and all this sort of stuff. And everyone's just like, that's what they think. New Zealand is. And I found this other one that's like New Zealand. And on the top left, where Australians think I live, right, in the middle of sheep, where Americans think I live, and that's the Sydney Harbour Bridge, in case you're wondering, um, where other foreigners think I live, and that's Middle Earth, uh, where my friends think I live, that's AJ Hackett's bungee jump, where I think I live, and where I really live. It's just a normal city. I just thought that was quite funny. But ancient Israel, as I said, was very different um, shepherding the way that they did it, and even even in many places around the world today, and um, we're in the middle of our I am series at the moment, and the next two statements that we're dealing with are in short order. They are in the same context of shepherding, and we know Jesus contextualizes all of his sayings around things that were common in the day. Right? He's he's talked about bread. I am the bread of life. He's talked about light. I am the light of the world. And so he's using this imagery. And there were a lot of shepherds around. And a lot of the Old Testament heroes of Israel were shepherds, right? You think about Moses. Before he led the people, he fled into the wilderness for 40 years and he was a shepherd. Uh, Abraham and Lot and David and Jacob, all shepherds. 
So it was a pretty noble profession for those people. But what causes this discussion around shepherding is this beautiful link between the last statement and these next two statements. And you guys, uh, I don't know if you've read in the newsletter what it was, what, what sparked this discussion and what linked these two things together. So we're going to be in John chapter 10 this morning. So you can go there if you want and you can have a look at John chapter 9 to get an idea. But it was the sign that Jesus performed. Um, so he's had this whole discussion, right? He said, I am the light of the world. And then he said, before Abraham was, I am. And the people picked up stones to stone him. And then he, he escaped and he went out of the temple and he healed a blind man. He healed a man born blind. And he did that to uh, physically manifest the claim that he made that he was the light of the world. And then um, there's this whole investigation, kind of like an inquisition, actually, into this man's healing. Because they're like, people start wondering, isn't this the man that was born blind? They're like, no, it looks like him, but it's not really him. It's his, it's his twin brother, I guess. And his, he gets dragged before these, the Pharisees, and then his parents get dragged before them. And then they, they, he, he, I think he has to answer like three or four times before they're happy with his answer, except they're not happy. And they kick him out of the synagogue because he wants to follow Jesus. And then we get this moment here where Jesus, uh, at the end of John chapter 9, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out. That means that they've kind of expelled him, excommunicated him from the synagogue. And when he found him, he asked, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He asked. Jesus answered, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. So again, Jesus is claiming this title, the Son of Man. People say, Oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. It's like he did. He's here saying he's the Son of Man. I believe, Lord. And that word Lord, just so you know, is the title that is reserved by the Hebrew people for God. And then he worshipped him. You know, So God alone is to be worshipped, right? That's the first commandment. No other gods. Worship me only. And this man is worshipping Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, hold on a second, don't. He's like, that's right. That's what you should be doing. And Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, ah, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way as a thief and a robber, he who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus said again, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate or the door, some translations have. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in abundance. So this is what we're talking about today, this idea that Jesus is the door to the sheepfold. So what does it mean that he's claiming to be this kind of inanimate object, this door, and uh, what does it mean about him and what does it mean for us? So we're going to explore some of that, but let's, 
Let's pray as we come to consider this uh, this saying this morning. Lord Jesus, as we come to think about what it means that you are the door, you are the gate, um, please uh, just speak to our hearts. Just enlighten us. Just give us your wisdom. Give us your revelation to know exactly what it, what it means and how we can respond to you so that we will uh, best honor you. We just pray that you would really enlighten us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be um, exploring in the next saying as well what Jesus is talking about uh, in connection with this one. Uh, the next saying, in case you're wondering, is I am the good shepherd, uh, which comes in John ten eleven, which is just after where we finished our reading this morning. Um, but I want to illustrate what was in the minds of the people as Jesus is talking about saying he is the gate and and leading his flock out and and flocks going to pasture and things like that. So back in the day, uh, shepherds would lead their flocks quite a long way away from from the village out to pasture. And they would often have to spend the night out in the fields. And so what they would do is they would construct these makeshift sheepfolds, usually out of stones that they would just pile up on top of them, just high enough so that the sheep wouldn't come out. So here's a picture of one that's kind of, out there at the moment. So you see it's just like a pile mound, a circular mound of rocks. Um, This one's a bit worn out. Um, They've reconstructed one um, here, so just about waist high. And you see on the top there, he's, this is a in a theme park or something, or, a, or like something like that. But they, they've got these sharp sticks on top poking out, and that's to stop the sheep from jumping out and to stop predators from jumping in and, and thieves and robbers coming over. Um, and so there, you can see there that there's no door. And what would happen is they would go out, the shepherd would kind of get all his sheep into the sheepfold at night after he'd constructed it, and then he himself would sit down and sleep in the opening, and he would be the door. So that's the sort of thing that um, that these people have in their minds as Jesus is talking. He's saying, "I'm the the sheep, the sheep, uh, the gate, and the sheepfold, and all this stuff." That's what they're picturing in their minds because they know how this sort of thing works. Um, but Jesus has the spiritual understanding and meanings in mind. He's not just talking about He's not physically sitting down. He's not a shepherd. That's not his occupation. He's obviously speaking in sort of metaphorical language here. And he's just been talking to the man who's been kicked out of uh, the synagogue for not following the leaders or the shepherds. Okay, Often in the Old Testament, the leaders of the people were called the shepherds. Ezekiel had a lot to say about the false shepherds and leaders of Israel. And so Jesus is making a point here actually about the leaders and the leadership. When he says, all who came before me were false shepherds. He's calling all of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the leaders of Israel. He's saying that they are unauthorized shepherds. They're thieves and robbers, which is pretty intense when you think about it. Um, and so what is he saying for us today? So I want to look at three things that Jesus tells us by using this metaphor of a sheep, shepherd, and especially this idea of door. So the first thing he tells us is that his people, that's us, his flock, his sheep, we read that in, in our Psalm 100 this morning. We are his, the sheep of his pasture. Uh, he tells us that there is this idea of separateness. We are separated from other flocks. So if we are part of one flock, we are not part of another one. Now this is something that's often 
overlooked about us as the followers of Jesus. We are different. We are not the same as everyone else. We belong to a different people. That's what he's saying. He's making a distinction between his people, that is the people of God, those who are inside his sheepfold, and then those who are outside the people of God. There is a boundary, right? The sheepfold is is walled off. So not all the flocks and herds are all mixing together. There is a difference there. It's like if you had two circles and they are separate, right? A Venn, you know, a Venn diagram has the two circles kind of overlapping. Well, this is like a Venn diagram that doesn't overlap. Paul describes it this way in Colossians 1.13. He has rescued us, that's Jesus, has rescued us from the domain of darkness. So this is darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. So there's this idea of these two separate um, distinctions. And, and there's a lot of distinctions that our world makes between people today. You can draw a line in our culture almost uh, anywhere uh, across uh, ethnic divides. You can divide people up culturally. You can divide people up by gender. There's a lot of division here. But the Bible is only concerned really with one distinction or division. Is it... Uh, And that is, do you belong to the people of God or not? So are you in God's kingdom, in his flock, in his sheepfold, or are you outside? Are we in the sheepfold that Jesus is the door to or not? And Peter talks about this in his first letter uh, in the second chapter, and he's quoting here from the Old Testament, and we kind of picked him up mid-argument here in verse 8. A stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because... They disobey the word. They were destined for this. Just to give a bit of context, and here's the verse. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. There's the separateness, right? There's one people that are not chosen, that are not royal priests, that are not holy nation, and then there are those who are. So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness. There's this metaphor again, and into his marvelous Light, this idea again that darkness and light can't exist in the same space. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. So he's saying, you know, there's this binary thing here. You're either in or you're out. You're God's people or you're not God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles. And in this context, Gentiles is just people who are not uh, followers of Jesus. So that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and glorify God on the day he visits. So the different implies, difference implies not only are we set apart and separate, but that we act differently. And that's what Peter is telling us in these verses. You belong to God, and so you act in a way that accords with how God would have you act. You don't live the same way as everyone else. You proclaim your difference as much through your actions as you do through your words. I believe it was, well, it's attributed to St. Francis who said, preach always, and if you have to, use words, right? The idea that our actions should speak as loud as our words, even louder um, the way that we live. Now, that's not easy, though, especially in our world today where there's a lot of information coming at you. You have to listen carefully to the voice of Jesus and filter everything through that voice. That means you have to learn what his voice sounds like. You have to pay attention. You have to learn to follow and to make 
uh, decisions and critique your assumptions about the way that things do and the way that you interact with people and the actions that you take, do they line up with the voice of Jesus and the call that he's calling you to follow? And that's the thing. Jesus talks about when the shepherd has called the sheep out of the sheepfold, he walks in front of them and they follow him. So here in New Zealand, you've got the sheepdogs and they're all running around barking like crazy, trying to drive the sheep to a certain place. But in Israel and um, in ancient Israel and even in many places in the world today, the shepherds walk in front of the sheep and the sheep follow them because they know their voice. So they don't wander off. They don't follow other shepherds. It's a matter of listening and following for us as well. But that means that we need to make decisions about what we do. This is the second thing. And this is about the call of the shepherd. There's a choice to be made. The sheep can follow if they want to. And if they, I mean, most sheep are trained to follow, but they don't have to. I mean, you get the odd sheep that wanders off, gets into trouble, uh, gets attacked. I mean, David talks about when he's about to face Goliath, how he had to face down bears and lions um, because his sheep wandered off. Um, Jesus talks about sheep wandering off in the parable of the lost sheep. And they can decide to come to the door and and go into the sheepfold or they can run off and take their chances with the wolves outside. But we all stand at the same door. We all have a decision to make. Are we going to enter in? Are we going to follow the voice of the shepherd? That's Jesus, right? Later on, he's called the good shepherd. He calls himself the good shepherd and go through the door, which is also Jesus, and find true life. Are we going to be in or are we going to be out? Uh, in our world today, there's a lot of gray. You know, People think there's a lot of spectrums around and there's a lot of social constructs and you can be on whatever um, kind of truth that you, that you want. There's room for many gods, many experiences of God. And we think we're really clever because we've, got, we've made the space for, for gray. But we're really just recreating the world of the Roman Empire. All right, you think about this first century world that Jesus lives in. There were, you know, hundreds, thousands of gods, and you're free to worship any of them you wanted in any way you wanted. But in contrast to that and the, the tolerance of the Roman Empire, Jesus says, No, there's only one God, there's only one way to worship him, there's one door, there's one shepherd, there's one light, there's one bread, there's one way, one truth, one life. And that is Jesus. He's saying the same for us. You're either in or you're out. You have to make that decision. You're either part of God's flock in his sheepfold, or you're outside. You have to make a a decision concerning Jesus. He says later in the chapter in verse 16, but I have other sheep that are not from the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. So he's talking about here the flock of Israel, and there will be some that will follow his voice and be called out of that flock. And then there's the flocks of the other nations around the world, the other ethnic groups around the world who will also come and join into his flock and there will be one flock. And so it's what Jesus is talking about, the decision. Are we going to follow him out of the flock that we are found in now to join his or not? And what he talks about in that instance is salvation. Right? He tells us the outcome of these decisions. We go through the door, we follow him, we walk behind him, and he says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Right? He will be saved, and we will, and will come in and go out and find pasture. If we follow Jesus, if we live our lives in accordance with his directions, then we will be saved. Then we will be free to enjoy 
the good life. And this is what David describes for us in Psalm 23, very famous psalm about shepherding. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. And this is one of the things that is in the background of Jesus' thinking as he is telling these people this. He's describing going in and out to find pasture, and the God, the Lord who is our shepherd, leads us to pasture. The sheep that trust the shepherd that go through the door, they find that life. They find what is truly good, and they find true freedom. Freedom because Jesus tells them who they truly are. He gives them their identity. They don't have to come up with it on their own. They are able to live the life that Jesus intended for them. And this is a common theme, this idea of salvation and all of these sayings. Jesus is pointing us to the true source of life, the true source of eternal life, which is him. He's trying to let people know that they can only find salvation, satisfaction, fulfillment, and eternal life, life that goes on forever in him the best life. And as I was thinking about this, um, it brought to mind for me uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. And I love C.S. Lewis, and I've been reading through the Chronicles of Narnia with the kids recently, and we finally finished the seventh book. We read them um, in the in-world chronology order, if you want to know. So we started with the magician's nephew and finished with the last battle. And, um, and, at the end of the last battle, on the last page, there's this quote about what life in Aslan's country looks like. And this is, uh, this is what it says. And I just love this picture of our own eternal life. It's obviously imaginary, you know, but it, uh, it's a beautiful picture nonetheless. And as he, that's Aslan, spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. And then what it is for them. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. And that's the life that Jesus offers us, right? Eternal life that goes on forever, and every chapter is better than the one before. Now, just switching gears to think about the Pharisees a little bit, who must have uh, thought it was pretty harsh to hear from Jesus to say, uh, you guys are thieves and robbers. You crawl over the side of the sheep pen and you steal my sheep. You want to steal and kill and destroy, right? That's the thieves that Jesus is talking about. A robber comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And he's, he's saying that to the teachers of the law who are supposed to be leading God's people. Um, and he says, but I came to give them life in abundance. But the thing is, when it comes to the most important matters of life, that of our eternal destiny, 
which we seem to de-emphasize and we say, well, it doesn't really matter, my eternal destination, it, it doesn't affect my behavior now. I've encountered a lot of people who say that. They say, well, why should I be worried about where I'm going to spend eternity? I really need to just worry about my life now and today. But the thing is, you read through the Gospels, you read what Jesus has to say, and for him, most of his teaching and talk is actually about where you're going to spend eternity because that's the utmost importance. He knows that there's going to be a day when the dead will rise again, all of the dead, and we're all going to stand before the judgment throne of God and be judged and be separated. He tells a parable about this in Matthew's gospel. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him. Everyone's going to come before that throne, and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king, that's Jesus, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus is actually the most concerned about our eternal destiny. He taught more on that than any other subject. It was a big deal for him. So the question that I want us to finish by thinking on this morning as we close um, today is what will it be like for me to stand before that throne on that day? On that day, what will Jesus say to me? What will my response be? Will he welcome me into his kingdom? Am I living this life of separation and salvation now? Is the focus of my life to be faithful to the call of the shepherd, to follow him? Or is it on something else? Let's pray as, uh, as we close and as Doug comes to lead us this morning to respond. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the gate, the door. You are the entrance into eternal life. We thank you that you came for that, that you call us out from the world, that you separate us, you make us holy, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, servants unto you. We pray that you would help us to choose wisely in this life the things that we will do, the voices that we will follow, the things that we will give our attention and our love to so that we might be faithful to you, so that in the end of days when we stand before you, we may hear you welcome us into your kingdom as your good and faithful servants. We ask that you would speak to us in this moment about those things that you would reveal to us where we might be more faithful, where we might give up more of our lives to you, that you might tell us who we truly are in you, and that we would respond with worship. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.